Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hate crime murders reached a 27-year high last year, according to data released by the FBI Tuesday. A total of 24 people were killed in attacks, including 11 at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. More than 7,000 hate crimes were reported in 2018. That's down slightly from 2017. There were 835 anti-Semitic incidents, making Jews the most targeted group by religion. Paul Violis is a CBS News security consultant, an accomplished author, and a renowned global security and law enforcement expert. With over 35 years of experience, he's dedicated his life to finding solutions for the problems that keep you up at night. This is Security Matters with Paul Violas. Welcome to Security Matters, where your security matters most. I'm Paul Violas, and this is a CBS News radio production. Big thanks to everybody hitting us up on social media, as always. Really appreciate it. And also remember, if you have a direct question or statement or something you want to ask me personally, you can always go to info at violas.com and shoot that email. We're getting quite a few messages there almost on a daily basis, so don't hesitate to use that as well. Your input is critical. Always want to know what you're thinking, and clearly if there's a subject that's keeping you up at night, we want to know about it because we want to make sure that we cover it for you. Today, don't have to go too far, and unfortunately for too long of a period of time without seeing another hate crime in the United States. Today, the growth of hate crime groups we're going to be talking about the four, main, the four main categories so that you understand that. We'll also talk about the disparity between domestic terrorism and hate crimes. Why am I saying that? Because unfortunately, we've got some elected officials out there that are misusing the term terrorism, and they're sending everybody in, in the communities up in arms. We're going to make sure that we describe that accurately. We're going to go through some stats. We're going to break down the definitions. And then we're going to look at the four main categories. You need to know what's going on out there. And then in addition to that, I'm going to give you some of the main groups that are circulating in those categories. I'm going to show you how if you look at kind of finger like concentric circles, the ones in the middle, those are the groups that typically you find almost everybody targeting, which you're not going to be surprised when you see who they are and some statistics on that. From there, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to be joined by the commanding officer of the NYPD hate crime task force and he's going to lay out for us exactly what's going on around the country as they collaborate to deal with this particular issue first let's jump into what exactly are these crimes so here are the differences hate crimes a hate crime is a crime typically one involving violence that is motivated by prejudice on the basis of race religion sexual orientation or other grounds now that is a hate crime Domestic terrorism in the United States consists of incidences confirmed as quote-unquote terrorist acts. These attacks are considered domestic because they were carried out typically by U.S. citizens or U.S. permanent residents. Domestic terrorism or homegrown terrorism is a form of terrorism which victims 
within a country are targeted by a perpetrator with the same citizenship as the victims. That's domestic terrorism. Terrorism in general, the, 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 the definition being used across the board from DHS and across the board is the unlawful use of force and violence against persons or property to intimidate or coerce a government, the civilian population, or any segment thereof in furtherance of political or social objectives. Therein lies the difference between the three. So when you start hearing some people jump up to the microphone, especially, you know, our in, incredibly and infamously ignorant public officials that are calling one the other and the other the other, please understand you can use those definitions for yourself to distinguish between the two. Well, how often is this actually happening? The interesting part about this is, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, a group that's been in business for a while now and pays close attention to hate groups across the United States and collects some really solid data, they've identified, get this, 1,020 hate groups across the United States. I'm going to say that again, 1,020 hate groups across the United States. 50% increase just in the last couple of years in the amount falling under white nationalists. There's a shock. 60% of these crimes are actually perpetrated with the intent of targeting race, ethnicity, and ancestry. 20% religious, 16% sexual orientation, 4% others. So you know what the breakdown is. When it comes to religious, almost 60%, 58.9% of those attacks are targeted against the Jewish community. Do we have an anti-Semitic problem in this country? Yes. Whether people want to stick their heads in the sand about that or not, that's up to you. Do we have it? Yes. Is, is what we're seeing in New York just um, an aberration? Absolutely not. Muslims make up just less than 14%. So when you, when you start taking a look at the probabilities of risk and where they're pointing, I think it's pretty evident as to where we're really targeting or where different groups are targeting uh, other groups. What I really want you to understand as citizens of this country is what is so important for us to embrace about hate crimes and what it has to do with us. I have something that I, I have referred to in, 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 in doing public speaking and educating police for many years now. And they call it the cycle of hate crime. And stay with me on this because this is something that we, if we decide we want to as a community, as a national community, do something about this instead of just talk about it and complain about it. Then we have to look at what this cycle is. Ignorance in and of itself begets prejudice. Now, are, are, is it fair to say the vast majority of human beings have taken oxygen of prejudice? Yes. And what does that mean? It means we prejudge. It means that before we know something, we have an opinion of it. That's prejudice. At the end of the day, that's prejudice. Don't judge a book by its cover, right? That's prejudice. A prejudice is a thought. It's a thought process. Discrimination is what then comes into play when we make prejudice an action. From discrimination goes to division. The division of a community, the division of faith, the division of a country, which is where exactly we are right now. Perhaps to say, and I would argue, that we are perhaps more divided today than we've been since Kent State, and maybe even worse than we were at that particular point in time. There's no question about that. Division begets hate. And we see hate now permeating throughout our society. And we see the byproduct of that, not just in the violent crimes, 
and I'm not minimizing, not just in the violent crimes, uh, associated with hate crimes, where an individual goes to Monsey, New York, with a machete. Think about that. I mean, just stop for a second. Think about it. With a machete. Really? And we think of hate crimes over and over again that we've seen from Charlottesville to to the attack at the, at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, and we can go on and on, and churches, etc. But when hate then metastasizes, it does so in the form of violence. And what we are looking at right now is the quintessential example of that very cycle of hate crime. From ignorance begets prejudice, begets discrimination, begets division, begets hate, begets violence. That, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly where we're at. The byproduct, sure, hate crimes. Also, we're looking at right now that it's anticipated one in four homes will either be burglarized or fall victim to a home invasion in the United States. That's a crazy number. The amount of crime that's being associated with hate today is unprecedented. And unfortunately, it's not going anywhere. That's really a scary thing. Now, I look at this in depth, and I will tell you that what's about to come right now may shock you. And I'm also going to tell you, I wish that I had an immediate solution, as I try to often do with this particular show. I don't know that there is one right now. But what I do from an educational perspective, I want to make sure that you understand what we're dealing with. Now, I, I have broken this down into four main categories. White supremacists black supremacists, anti-government, and anti-immigration. So to give you a brief overview, white supremacists are groups like the KKK, obviously is the most famous and oldest of hate groups, no question about that. Now, although black Americans have typically been the Klan's primary target in the most heinous of crimes, it also has attacked Jews, immigrants, gays, lesbians, and until and, and now recently, Catholics. That's the KKK. The Aryan nations, racist and anti-Semitic views, believe whites are the true Israelites and Jews are descended directly from a sexual union between Eve and Satan. That's right. That's what they believe. They're also the most powerful prison gang in the United States, arguably without question. Then you have a group called the Proud Boys. Now, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, but I'm going to tell you right now, this is the group to really keep an eye on. Now, they clearly follow the white nationalist type of mantra. Proud Boys have appeared alongside other hate groups at extremist gatherings like the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. Then former Proud Boy member, Jason Kessler, who you may have heard of, helped to organize the event, which brought together Klansmen, anti-Semites, Southern racists, and militias. Proud Boys fastly growing and with a deep-seated hatred for anyone that doesn't follow their way of life. White supremacists. There are a lot more. I'm just giving you a sampling of each category. Black supremacists. The new Black Panther Party is an, a, a, a significantly violent, racist, and anti-Semitic organization whose leaders have encouraged violence against whites, Jews, and law enforcement. Now, listen to this for a second, because this comes from the former head of the New Black Panther Party, 
King Samir Shabazz. It's his name. Former head of the New Black Panther Party, Philadelphia chapter. This comes directly from him in a speech that he gave also in a National Geographic documentary back in 2009. Listen to this. Quote, unquote, I hate white people, all of them. Every last iota of a cracker, I hate it. We keep begging white people for freedom. No wonder we're not free. Your enemy cannot make you free, fool. You want freedom? You're going to have to kill some crackers. You're going to have to kill some of their babies. That is from one of the leaders of the new Black Panther Party. Then, of course, you have the black Hebrew groups. What we've seen of late, the black Hebrew Israelites, which we saw the terrorists, the, the hate crime perpetrated in Jersey City, and we saw the recent one in Monson, New York, both coming back to the black Hebrew Israelites. Now, black Hebrew groups were founded in the United States, believe it or not, late 19th and early 20th centuries, from Kansas all the way to New York City. However, according to the, uh, anti the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, some, but not all, sects of the black Hebrew Israelites are outspoken anti-Semites and racists. As of December 2019, the Southern Poverty Law Center lists 144 black Hebrew Israelite organizations. Think about that. And since being founded in 1930, the Nation of Islam has grown into one of the wealthiest and best-known organizations in black America. Its bizarre theology of innate black superiority over whites, a belief system vehemently and consistently rejected by mainstream Muslims, and the deeply racist, anti-Semitic, and anti-gay rhetoric of its leaders include top minister Louis Farrakhan and have earned the Nation of Islam a prominent position in the ranks of organized hate. Then you have the two that I can tell you right now I'm most concerned with. The reason why I'm most concerned with them, I'm concerned with every single one of them because they promote hate and they promote violence. But right now, I'm really concerned with these because we're looking at a quantum shift in our country. We have so much division. And ladies and gentlemen, stay with me on this. We have so much division. History is nothing more than a cause, event, and result cycle. It constantly repeats itself. What do we see in history? The Roman Empire fell by division. The great British Empire fell by division. And where we are right now, we've never been this divided. And we're forming groups that feel the need to take control themselves. And they're growing in large numbers. Anti-government groups like the Patriot Front. The time of the Republic has passed in America as the system grows too weak to perform its duty. The damage done to this nation and its people will not be fixed if every issue requires the approval and blessing from the dysfunctional American democratic system. Democracy has failed in this once great nation. This is Patriot Front. They are promoting that they need to be the ones to take over. The Oath Keepers, now these are the guys that I'm really most concerned with. By 2016, the group was claiming an, an amazing 30,000 members who were said, believe it or not, to mostly come from former military and law enforcement and first responders. They believe in what they call the 10 orders we will not obey which is a compendium of much feared but entirely imaginary threats from the government, including forcing Americans into detention camps, imposing martial law, and disarming all civilians. Those supposed threats are all the key to the central conspiracy theory of the anti-government patriot movement of which, excuse me, of which uh, the keepers are a part. Now, 
I'm concerned about these guys because they truly believe and they're growing in number and there's probably a whole lot more than 30,000 right now about they need to take over this country. How safe are your communities? How safe are you in your home right now? How much security do you have in your house right now? If we look at what's going on with us between Iran and the United States and the clear division and the animosity, animosity the disdain, the lack of communication from what, the right side of the aisle to the left side of the aisle, everyone's picking sides. We don't win this way. This is what really concerns me. And then, of course, you have the social contract press, the anti-immigration <clears throat> excuse me, category. The ethnic identity that is emerging among Hispanic immigrants is a militant and all-encompassing identity that excludes and conflicts with traditional American allegiances, institutions, and values and explicitly identifies whites as a racial, a racial alien enemy and oppressor. This must be eliminated. This is, this is a group that is totally focused on a Mexican-American war. And then, of course, the American border and American patrol, a group that does nothing but spew anti-immigrant groups, anti-immigrant statements and inform groups around the country. Those are the four main categories. Each have a plethora of groups inside each. As I mentioned, total 1,020 identified in the United States. Our key right now is to find out what we're going to do to continue to gather intelligence on these groups and what law enforcement is going to be able to do in order to curtail their growth and start managing how we preemptively mitigate the risk that they're clearly presenting. A lot of that's going to come down to what you're going to be able to identify after we come back from this break. I've got Deputy Inspector Mark Molinari, Commanding Officer of the Hate Crimes Task Force in the New York City Police Department, is going to be joining us. And with those questions, we should get some real good clarity as to what we got going forward. But that, in and of itself, ladies and gentlemen, should tell you we have an issue. We have a serious issue in this country, and we better start dealing with it. Stay with me. Be right back. Welcome back to Security Matters. I'm Paul Violas. And as I mentioned before we took our break, we are honored to have uh, a, an incredible guest with us today, someone who's a, a wealth of knowledge in the area of hate crimes, We're talking about Deputy Inspector Mark Molinari, uh, Commanding Officer of the Hate Crimes Task Force of the New York City Police Department, 23-year 20, veteran with the NYPD, over 10 of that in executive ranks. Inspector, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Inspector, I had an appreciation for your time. I, I want to jump right into this, my first question, if I may. As the CEO of the NYPD's Hate Crimes Task Force, I'm sure much of your strategy entails actionable intelligence. Um, to the extent possible, please share with our listeners how such information is gathered, vetted, and implemented as it pertains to your unit and how that works. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the NYPD has always monitored uh, actionable intelligence, uh, working with uh, information centers. Our intelligence bureau has done a great job on this. Even recently, they've created uh, a unit called REMI, is the abbreviation for racially and ethnically motivated extremism. Uh, they do the monitoring of that. That falls under the Intel uh, Bureau. I fall under the Detective Bureau. But we're not siloed out. We have a great working relationship with that team over there, the people in Intel. If they see something that should come to my attention, they get the information over to me right away. And likewise, if we uh, have a case that's pending with uh, somebody who might fit into an extremist mold, we get them involved in the information also. So collaboration is key then, would you say? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Now, how critical is nationwide law enforcement collaboration to the success uh, 
of, of your task force also to battling hate crimes in America? Well, all law enforcement collaboration is going to be uh, very pivotal. I mean, we're looking at times like this. Look what's gone on recently around New York City. We have Jersey City right over the river. We have Mun- Muncie right uh, north of New York City. Obviously, the NYPD is working with these agencies and worked with these agencies before. Right here in the Hate Crime Task Force, we work with the New Jersey State Police, the New York State Police, the FBI, Department of Justice. We work with a lot of different uh, agencies to make sure the information is shared uh, for, the, for the geographic area. We're not just New York City-centric. Right. And, and, and the reason I ask that, Inspector, is because you know, we, we are very fortunate at CBS News Radio to have, to have a very powerful audience here. And, and it goes you know, all across the country, certainly international, but all across the country. So hypothetically, hypothetically, if, if you were investigating a crime or you just had effected an arrest and during the course of obtaining information subsequent to that arrest, it looked like this particular individual maybe, you know, post-serving a search warrant, obtaining information via someone's computer. It looked like they were planning something in, let's say, Los Angeles or Topeka, Kansas. It's not uncommon for you to reach out to those agencies and share that information. Is, is that accurate? That is. We could reach out directly to them. Uh, we do work with a lot post-arrest, especially when we're looking at previous arrests of the, the people we've arrested now, if they were arrested in another jurisdiction. We'll reach out to those jurisdictions to speak to them about the case facts and what went on there, whether it's hate crime related or not, just to get a background. Um, and again, we could reach out through our intelligence bureau to, to really get the information out nationwide or, or worldwide if, if necessary. And that's the thing that, 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 you know, I really want all of our listeners to understand is that now, now clearly the New York City Police Department is the largest police department in the United States, but it's also the benchmark for law enforcement in, in, my, in, in my estimation and certainly in the estimation of many in the United States and abroad. It's the benchmark of law enforcement excellence you know, across the country and even worldwide. So oftentimes the NYPD does set kind of the bar, and I'm saying this, right? it sets the bar in many, many areas. Hate crime is clearly something that we have been battling for many years in this country, right, Inspector? I mean, it, it, this isn't anything new. We've seen hate crime for a long time. Correct. Uh, but, but, I, but I think the thing that really concerns so many people right now is how organized is this? And, and really, so, so much information that goes out via the media that is, it, I think it spews more conflict than it does resolution, um, which prompts this, my next question to you, Inspector, and that is we've seen a variety of groups ranging from white supremacists, and, and, and I guess when I mean groups, I mean categories, um, white supremacists, black supremacists, anti-government, anti, anti-immigration grow in recent years. We've seen division in the country grow in recent years. As a recognized leader in this country, in, in this area, in our country, how do you and your law enforcement colleagues plan on addressing that dilemma? Well, let me start off by, uh, let, let's give you a little about the hate crime task force here in uh, New York City. Right. Uh, um, see, a year from now, um, the NYPD hate crime task force is going to celebrate its 40th anniversary. 40 years of an NYPD unit investigating hate crimes. We are the second oldest in the country. Sadly, Boston beat us. We're the second <laughs> oldest in the country. We're, and we're the largest in the country. The largest dedicated hate crime unit that only works on hate crime cases, doesn't branch out into other areas. So we've been doing this for a while, and we're getting better and better at it every day. Now, working through what we have here, <clears throat> and, and in regards to your question, uh, this March, I'll celebrate my three-year anniversary in the unit. 
Prior to that, I was in the overhead command of the unit, and that was for about five years. So in the past eight years' experience that I have looking at hate crime cases, there is very little connection to um, any kind of extremist movements. In my three years here, I could tell you of two, and they've both been in the media before. Back in uh, December of 18, early 19, we had somebody sending flyers out from a New Jersey residence, um, anti-Semitic flyers out to multiple businesses here. He had some connections to ideologies of, uh, of, white, of uh, white supremacy, possibly. Okay. We did have another one of somebody placing swastikas in the Williamsburg area of Brooklyn. He had some connections to some Midwest. He followed into websites and, and whatnot, into Midwest uh, white supremacy groups. Prior to that, in May of 2017, we had the murder of an African-American gentleman, Timothy Kaufman, in Midtown Manhattan. So we have those three in the past three years. Before that, really none of our cases connect to an ideology. Now, when I say that, I talk about because of the amount of arrests we have. Those that we arrested, we cannot place any ideology into. So it would lend to law of averages that if we're arresting people who don't have an ideology connection, those that we're not arresting might not also. We are really seeing no connection. We had 428 hate crimes in New York City last year. And for the most part, from what we can gather, they're committed by 428 random diverse individuals. Do they follow a particular ideology, not necessarily connected to a group, but do, do they aspire to a certain ideology? We look into the background of everybody we arrest, <clears throat> and while we're looking for uh, a subject, we'll look into some social media information that's going on in the area, things are trending on social media in the area, right. see if anything's popping up. We're not connecting anybody to any social media backgrounds. This new unit I mentioned in uh, Intelligence Bureau, Remy, they're going to be able to dig deeper into that. So that's why our arrestees are going to be um, fielded through them also to see if they get any more background. But so far, we haven't had any connection to any extremism, hence, which hence I, I, say is, I say is, a, I say is a, a good thing right. that they're not connected to this ideology. We see what's going on in the country and these uh, massive horrific attacks that are happening places. So I'm glad we don't have anybody connected to that. At the same time, it makes it harder to connect a perpetrator to a right. crime when it's a random one-off incident that 428 different people are doing. Absolutely. And, and, and of course, this also speaks to the value and the need for Remy and other intelligence-based entities within law enforcement to, to work hand-in-hand with task forces like yourself in order to do, do a deeper dive on what potential involvement or connection other people may have had. You're absolutely right. And when I say things like, I don't know, or I can't connect somebody, to me, that's not a good enough answer. I'm sure to city government, the people of New York, your listeners, that's not a good enough answer to say, I don't know if they're connected. We need that additional intelligence to try to confirm or deny whether they are connected to something. Which definitely crystallizes the point here I was making earlier about the, the need to connect intelligence and the need for intelligence and how intelligence works in conjunction with a hate crime task force, whether it be the police department, any other police department, federal government, whatever. Um, Inspector, my last question is this, is a lot of people listen on this, obviously we see this subject resonating everywhere. Um, what would be your message that you would like to convey to our listeners on this subject? Well, how long is your radio show? I have, uh, I, <laughs> well, I have, we have I no limit here, Inspector, <laughs> we have no limit. 
I, I have many uh, many messages to send. I mean, we're, we're working very diligently. Like I said, this is the second oldest hate crime task force in the country. We're a dedicated unit. Uh, 25% of my unit could have retired years ago. We're still here and we're still doing this. We care about this, and so does the whole NYPD. And I started using the word recently, silos. When people talk about silos in government or law enforcement, it's like a negative connotation to it. We have silos in the police department, but those silos do connect. We have our prevention work working through Community Affairs Bureau, crime prevention, elected officials. Uh, The New York City Mayor's Office just started the Office for the Prevention of Hate Crimes. We work with these other agencies to have them work on the prevention, education component of it. We do the investigative post-incident part. But as I said before, we also work with the federal partners, Department of Justice and FBI, New York State, New Jersey State Police, uh, Port Authority and MTA are both law enforcement agencies here in New York City. We work with them on, uh, on cases. And then there's the post-incident, there's the post-arrest. Uh, all five boroughs, the uh, district attorney's offices, have hate crimes bureaus in every single one of them. And we work with them. We're on a 24-hour-a-day phone call basis with those bureau chiefs. And we're working you know, very, very hard with them to ensure a good, hard prosecution on the people we apprehend. Uh, we, we can't leave out the NYPD patrol forces. Something that, that uh, I, just, I just did a, a, a breakdown looking at arrests and of the arrests in New York City for hate crimes in um, I'm sorry, for the incidents, 428 incidents in uh, 2019, patrol officers made arrests in 25% of them. That's surprising. That might sound like, that Not, sounds like a small number, but to me that means the cops number. are on the street. They're out there. Look. They're either interrupting it, rolling into it, or responding quickly enough to that 911 call that they are making an apprehension. There's no question about great, that. That's a great, great number to me. Right. And, and you know what? We all know that patrol is the backbone of any of any police department. I mean, patrol is that first responder. They're first ones out there on the scene. So I'm not surprised to hear that number. But a big thing here, though, Inspector, before we close is this. We got people listening from all over the country. Right. Um, is there something that the general citizen could do that would assist the investigation and apprehension of people that are about to perpetrate a hate crime? Is there anything they could do to assist law enforcement? I mean, the first thing we could do is reporting. We know, uh, I said I've spent uh, years before this in uh, Special Victims Division working on sex crimes. We know that's the most underreported crime there is. Hate crimes are probably the second most unreported crime. We have communities who are victimized who are afraid of the police because of previous history in uh, maybe possibly foreign countries, possibly other states in the U.S., they're afraid to interact with the police. They don't report as often. We need everybody to report. Working with the mayor's office recently, we, we have talked about the possibility that reporting may go up, which makes incidents go up, look mm-hmm. like they're going up. But we need everybody to report. I want everybody who's a, a victim of a hate crime to report uh, witnesses to uh, come forward and help us out. The big push we're putting out now is video. We all know video is prevalent everywhere from cell phones to uh, doorbells uh, to uh, you know, surveillance video on, on houses and businesses. We need people who have that, that video to make sure that it's recording, make sure it's pointed in the right direction, make sure right. the time and date are correct, and be willing to share that video with us. We solve many cases that are almost unsolvable by somebody doing property damage with no witnesses, by being able to follow a person camera to camera to camera for blocks away until they possibly walk into their residence or until we possibly get a good shot of their face that we could uh, put out to the media. The cooperation of the community coming forward to help us with these investigations is what we, what we really need. And you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm going to, to leave our conversation there for everyone to kind of digest what 
Inspector Molinari just shared with you. And I'm going to echo that statement as we close for the today. And I'm going to say this. I understand that we see a lot of scary information out there about hate crimes. I know that we see it on the news. I get that. And I know that it's unnerving. And I'm with you on that. But what I ask you to take from this is that law enforcement's on top of this. They're investigating it. They're collaborating across the United States, state, local, federal. They're communicating with each other. But I'll leave with the last thing that the inspector just said. So much of this can be worked if every one of you listening were to report more often. If you see something on social media that's unnerving and you think that it is hate crime related, if you hear something, if you observe something, whatever it may be, if you see this information, take it from Inspector Molinari on this and, and as, as a reflection of all law enforcement across the country. Law enforcement wants to hear what you have to say. If you see this, if you read about it, you're witnessing it, you need to report it. That can seriously help everything as we move forward and try to preemptively mitigate this close to epidemic of hate crimes and groups we're seeing in this country. So, Inspector, I thank you very, very much for taking the time to join us today. I know that we all learned a lot from it. And the key thing to take away here is, everybody, we want to report this is under control. It's not out of control, but we can sure do a better job in minimizing events if we get police involved early. And let's leave with that message. So on behalf of everybody here at CBS News Radio and certainly the entire Security Matters team, we appreciate, obviously, Inspector Molinari and the NYPD, of course, being a great partner with us. And all of our law enforcement out there that's doing such a great job in battling the hate crime problem we have in this country. Have a great week. Be safe, be well. God bless. Thanks for listening to Security Matters with Paul Violas. The podcast is produced by Seth Nyman and CBS News Radio. For more podcasts from CBS News, visit cbsaudio.com slash podcasts. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus, starting May 1st.